Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Deeper with the Dolan Twins. I'm Ethan. I'm Grayson. Uh, we're your hosts, and we're also the Dolan Twins. And coming up, we have a great episode with Philippe and Ashton Cousteau. And we wanted to give a quick thank you to Macy's Upstart and Truth Initiative for sponsoring this episode of Deeper with the Dolan Twins. And into the episode we go. I used to be used to. I feel like I haven't been in the water in, what, a year and a half now? So really? really? Yeah, it's crazy. What is that like, just going from being in the water all the time to now? Yeah, just in general, dry. being on traveling and adventures, you know, all the time. And, and we had so many things lined up. I mean, trips to the Seychelles, filming, we we're going to be in Africa, etc. And, and um, uh, it's a, been an adjustment. On the flip side, having a little girl yeah. mm-hmm. who was, I guess, when all this went down, not quite a year, and being home with her. That's been such a blessing. That is yeah. you know, I, That's great. Yeah. I didn't grow up with a father. My father died before I was born. And Sorry so I've always wanted that. to be a father and like to be able to do all those things that I always dreamed of doing with my dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so being able to be home and not on the road all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's That's been really so nice. amazing. Mm-hmm. So amazing. So speaking. Sorry. You, no, you got it. Okay. I was going to say, speaking about your family, you are carrying quite a legacy with your, your grandfather, Jacques, and then your, your father, Philippe. What, what has that been like? And do you do what you do, would you say, because of the inspiration from them? Or is it something that you think you would have gone into naturally? I, you know, I don't know if I would have gone into it naturally. Um, but I, I, you know, having lost my father, mm-hmm. uh, wanting to get to know him and understand his motivation in life was definitely part of my impetus to want to do this work. Mm-hmm. But uh, so growing up, I was always like, oh, I want to, you know, go on adventures with my father and my grandfather and, and do those kinds of things. But, you know, when I went to, um, when I was 16 years old, I had the opportunity to go to Papua New Guinea on a research expedition with this woman named Dr. Eugenie Clark, who is this legend. She was a friend of my father and my grandfather's. And um, one of the leading the, shark yeah. scientists in the world mm-hmm. still to this, to this day. And one of the world's first female oceanographers. Mm-hmm. Was she the, was she in, um, yeah, and then she was in a, Correct me wrong, but was she in Seaspiracy? No, 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 she passed away a few yeah. years ago. Oh, okay, Sylvia Sylvia Earl. Earl. okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And so we were out filming and, and doing research and diving for like two weeks in some of the most remote parts of the world, mm-hmm. Papua New Guinea, in these bays, days away from the nearest town, visiting little villages where people were coming down in dugout canoes, like trading fruit for like rice and flour. Wow. And, and, and we brought some school supplies because they had little tiny little huts and things for schools. And... And we'd hike up on the day off from diving, we'd be hiking up into like the jungle and you'd come across these caves full of human skulls going back centuries that were sacrificial areas for previous, you know, uh, peoples and cultures going back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. 
it felt like Indiana Jones. Like yeah. I'm hearing that like a real skull cave and diving and like you're visiting these people and these cultures that are so removed and have very little if any you know exposure to Western cultures. They were probably very exci- uh, like confused to see someone like Philippe. I mean, they're right? blown away. Like, <laughs> yeah. like you know, they, you see they see this big boat come up. And like people are rowing out canoes, like what is going on? And you're treating, giving them, you know, fruit and or uh, uh, rice and flour, which was really the commodity, valuable commodity for them because they can all grow it themselves yeah. in return for, for for fruit. And then I went up to the to the highlands of Papua New Guinea and to these remote tribes way up in the jungles, also with like boar tusks in their noses and feathers and ornate headdresses and all, still hunting with bow and arrow and all this stuff. And you're seeing these things, and you're like, oh my god, this is again. Indiana Jones, and for a 16-year-old kid, that yeah. is, like, just about as cool as it can be. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, of course I want to do this for a living. Like, yeah. why, why wouldn't I want to do all these amazing things? So inspired by my father and grandfather, then when I got my feet wet and got a chance to, like, go Literally on some adventures. Literally got your feet wet. Literally <laughs> feet wet. I was like, this is unbelievable. Like, yes. Yeah, sounds unbelievable. We were just talking before you got here about, uh, we just watched a couple of your clips from your shows um, and your expeditions and just... I'm kind of inspired to get my diving license soon and and get underwater and just see what's under there. I just feel like it's like an alternate universe. It's like it's it's basically a different planet. It, it is. is, and it's most of our planet, right? Yeah. When people think they're like, I mean, I've thankfully been to all seven continents, but if you don't scuba dive, there's seventy percent of the planet that you're missing out on. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So I'll, we'll make a deal. If you guys want to learn how to scuba dive, we can make that happen. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> definitely literally talking that to the right people. That is one thing we can do. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. So um, I, I'm just interested to hear about how you got into all this. Um, Grace and I were watching your TED talk and we something resonated with us like deeply. Um, and it was about how you started to work in entertainment and it was your dream job. And then as you became more and more aware to all the issues that these, this environment is, is going through, you started to feel a little bit confused or I think you mentioned embarrassed about your job because it was like how, you know, how, how worth it is it to, you know, dive into entertainment and you know, explain to the world what, what's going on in the, all these famous people's lives and kind of neglect, you know, how, how we all real, need to real issues, real issues, yeah. like saving the planet. And, you know, rightfully so, it's, it, it makes sense that you had those thoughts. Like, how did you bridge that gap? I mean, it was, like you said, I, I so I grew up in like the, the late 80s and the early 90s. So yeah. MTV's House of Style was like amazing or mm-hmm. Brooke Burke Wild On or... Um, you know, these kind of shows, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, you know, that's yeah. kind of what I grew up on and just MTV and TRL. So mm-hmm. I, at a young age, really wanted to be uh, an entertainment correspondent. And mm-hmm. I set that goal for myself and I went to journalism school. I studied hard news because that's all my school offered at the time. Um, everybody thought I was crazy to want to go into entertainment. Mm-hmm. So then once I got the job at E, which was incredible, it was my dream job amazing coworkers. I went to the Oscars. You know, I probably wow. have interviewed every single celebrity that you can think of. Um, and I did really love it. But then after, like, you always hear about the seven-year itch. Yeah. It's usually in relationships. <laughs> I mean, it's That's so right. crazy. <laughs> I, my mind, I didn't, I actually haven't heard the term seven-year itch, but we, sorry, I don't want to, I don't no, want to all this, but because this is like how we related to you. Like we started YouTube and it started on a vine for us, but social media as a whole, we started when we were 14 or like kind of like we grinded this whole summer in like 2013, trying to get into it. And then we finally did in 2014. And now we are in 2021, about seven years later. And we like ran out of like steam on it. And we're yeah. like, we've been like reading and learning a lot since we're trapped inside and learning a lot about like the environmental issues that the world is facing. And we like, 
we're like, this is so much more important than anything it's we've ever thing. done. Yeah. And we, yeah, that we felt that seven year itch, like exactly. And is that when, right when, yeah. when you felt that? And I, so I started so feeling crazy. it and I'm like, look, I, I love, on one hand, I love going into hair and makeup and wearing fabulous clothes and going to these red carpets. But yeah. on the other hand, you know, I would go to cocktail parties and I would want to talk about news and events and all people would be like, so have you seen Justin Bieber's new haircut? And I was yeah. like, Oy. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but so, and around that same time is when I met Philippe. So it was almost perfect. It, it was perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met Philippe. He was giving a speech about the BP oil spill that happened in 2010, yes. right? I remember that. Worst that environmental tender. disasters yeah. in the United States, possibly in, in the oil industry in the world. So he was talking about it and, to be quite, to be honest, I <laughs> tell the whole story. It's a good story. Yes, please. it's a funny story. Oh, don't sure. hold back. It's a great okay, story. Bye. Um, okay, don't think I'm a bad person, everyone. Um, so I was working at E, and I had had a long day of talking about the Kardashians, and I was like, you know, my girlfriend invited me to this oil spill talk. She had sent me the flyer, and it was this dorky-looking guy in mandals. <laughs> Like sitting in oil, being like, mm, oil. And I was like, oh gosh, that guy. <laughs> but I'll go. Um, it was the Four Seasons over on the corner. It was me, by the way. Case, <laughs> yes, it was Blake. In case you're wondering, that was me, the dorky guy in the mandals, the, like the little man sandals. And like, I always know. thought those were pretty cool. I mean, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, and then I'll tell you, I have, I've learned from that experience as well. But so, so I go to the event and we go early because we want to skip out early because mm-hmm. I am a huge animal lover. And the last thing I wanted to do was hear about dead dolphins yeah. or, To be you know, fair, you, you would get in the studio like 6 a.m. Yeah, and I go to work the at 6 a.m. The event was like at 8 p.m. Okay. Yeah. So you'd been at it for like Bless 14 hours. for making yeah. me sound less... No, I mean, that. to be fair... <laughs> of a horrible person. <laughs> to be fair, it was 14 hours. You were on your feet in high heels and the works. And I was like, yes. yeah, I get it. Yes, my hard day at high heels. <laughs> um, so so I, we went to the event super early and in walks this really hot dude in like this nice outfit with really cool boots on. And I looked at my girlfriend. I was like, who's that? She was like, that's... She's like, I don't know. And then I walked in no. and she's like, but that guy's speaking. <laughs> and she's like, but what about that guy? But, no, okay, fine, I'll so talk to it turns guy. out the very hot, tall guy was Philippe. You couldn't recognize him without the mandals. I did not recognize him without the mandals. <laughs> it's like Superman, you know, Clark yeah. Kent. Yeah. Like, yeah and the glasses. Mandals. Mandals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided, so we, we met because we were literally the first people there. Mm-hmm. And then Philippe was the third person there. So we met. Um, we made a joke about where I went to school because my I went to UNC Chapel Hill and our big rival is Duke. Mm-hmm. So when I said I was from North Carolina, he said, "Did you go to Duke?" I had an explicit <laughs> response to him, yeah. as which we one shall does, not, we shall not, which I won't say here. Yeah. Um, and he's like, "Oh, so you went to Carolina?" So I instantly <laughs> liked him, and that was it. We've literally yeah. been together ever since. Wow. But it was it was at that time in my life where I loved my job, but I was looking for purpose. Yeah. You know, it was a great job and I love communicating and I love talking and I love storytelling. And I was getting to do that in my job, but there was a part of me that was missing. Mm-hmm. And when I met Philippe and that night we were talking about all of our pets and our families and travel because my family raised me, thankfully, in a way that we didn't go to the beach, we didn't go to Disney. My parents would save up every year. They would literally like clip coupons and they would take my sister and I on a big trip once a year. Mm. And it was usually to the Caribbean or to Canada or to Europe. Um, but it really opened my eyes to travel. Okay. So that night we met, we were talking about travel and I didn't, I kind of knew who Jacques Cousteau was, but I didn't know much about him. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just really talked about how much we love to travel and we've been together ever since. Literally, and- like we were, we spent, after the speech, the, the guy organized it who knew Tracy and Ashlyn, 
mentioned to me that they're having drinks and there's a bunch of like, it's for an organization that does curates events for, it's called Artists and Athletes, terrific organization, curates events for people in the entertainment industry to learn about kind of important topics. Mm -hmm. So they'll do everything from um, have Wolf Blitzer come in and talk about, you know, political reporting or have the ambassador of Japan came in and talked about the nuclear disaster at Fukushima a few years ago. Mm -hmm. They had me come in and talk about the Gulf oil spill, they'll do the, organize these throughout the year. And um, uh, uh, so afterwards, there was a bunch of celebrities and actors and people like that. And I think you were I actually a, talking to a super or to I a think, model. Yes, at the time. I was. I was. She was asking questions about the golf, and everybody was freaking out about. It. And I and 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 uh, the guy who runs um, uh, Steve Ross, who runs the program, came up. He's like, oh, I just got a text from Ashlyn and uh, and Tracy. They're having drinks at the bar. If you wanted to join them, and I was like, thanks everybody, and just beeline <laughs> left. All these people in line. They're like, wait, where'd he go? And I just disappeared. <laughs> And uh, went went to the bar and and we closed the the bar down. They were literally vacuuming around our chairs at like two a.m. in the morning while we were just talking, uh -huh. talking, talking about purpose and about travel yeah. and adventure and the animals and nature and family and what matters. So. And the more you know, the more time I spent with Philippe, and the more I really started understanding and, and diving deep into the ocean. You know, the really the more I realized that. A, it needed help, obviously, yeah. our ocean needs help, but really what it needed is it needed more people to care. Mm -hmm. So I really kind of set off on, well, if I can talk about someone's new boyfriend or girlfriend or haircut or divorce or you know anything like that and make that interesting to the mass audience, I bet I can also do the same thing for our ocean yeah. and for the environment. So really we just kind of set off on not only our relationship as a boyfriend-girlfriend, but also on a working relationship and, and how can I use the tools that I have to make what Philippe was doing cool and fun and mm -hmm. sexy. Cause he, it is like Indiana Jones. Yeah. And so, and still to this day, that's really my career purpose. So I've, I have been so lucky to have two careers, two dream careers in my life. Um, and I'm, and I'm really thankful for that. And, and honestly, I can say, you know, I wake up every day and I think, Oh, I am making a difference. You know, yeah. I wake up every day and I don't miss, I, I have purpose. Yeah. So that's, it's really exciting. And, that's I'm, and I'm glad that you guys Thank came you. to that too, because that's what Thank it's you. about. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. That's the yeah. feeling I got. It was like I, uh, we built a, a career off entertainment. And then once, once the following got so big and everything, I started to feel all these responsibilities that I wasn't expecting to feel in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like just a kid making videos for fun. And then eventually I was like, there's a lot of people listening to what I have to say. I need to say the right thing. Yeah. Um, and what I guess this pandemic is like causes like me to sit inside and learn about like the right things and how to live more compassionately. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, Compassion's a great word. Yeah. Um, more uh, 
just conscientious like about what I'm doing every day and like w- the effects of like just little things throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now it's like really, I had to take a step back and think like, how can I use this influence that I have for the right thing in the, in the kind of most right way? Cause mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if I was doing that. I, th- yeah. I thought I was, I was doing the best I could, but now I realize like there's so many issues that I really want to like tackle. And yeah. I'm at an age where like, I can't just keep like turning an eye to the, to this information because I'm, I'm young, you know, I'm like, yeah getting older and I'm like, okay, there's stuff I need to, to actually take responsibility over. Ashton, like you mentioned, you said, you know, making it fun and, and sexy yeah. and appealing to the masses is, is difficult to do, especially when you're talking about serious things that, um, I mean, you even said it before, uh, seeing, you know, dolphins dead in the water because of things that humans do. It's hard to, it's hard to do. Because yeah. I feel like, you know, at our core, we're all compassionate human beings and mm-hmm. most of us are animal lovers, if not all of us, because we are animals and we have compassion for one another. Um, but it, it's tough. It's like, how do you showcase that in a way where it's going to appeal to people instead of turn them away? And I think mm-hmm. you guys are doing a, a beautiful job at that. And it's really important that you're, you know, striving to do that with everything you do. And, um, but, you know, the process of it all is not sexy. And sometimes I'm, I'm assuming it is dangerous. Oh, geez. You know, like being, being <laughs> underwater in, 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 the, in the oil spill. Um, I think you actually dove in. Am I correct? You dove into the oil spill. Yeah. So I was, um, and this is, you know, this is more relevant today, I think, than even 10 years ago. I was watching the news and it wasn't telling the right story, the real, the true story, right? Mm -hmm. Um, On all the platforms. It was about a month after the oil spill had happened and they were reporting that you apply this dispersant, which is a a form, fluid foam do you apply to the oil that's floating on the surface of the of the water and they were like oh and it makes it go away mm-hmm. and i'm like no it doesn't it doesn't make it go away first of all there's no such thing as a way everything goes somewhere yeah. yeah uh it just made what 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 happens is that it's a surfactant and a solvent so it breaks up the oil and and it makes it drifts down in the water column mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. what it makes it do so is go out of sight uh-huh. That's what they want, yeah. but it's almost more toxic. A because the surf, the the dispersant is like a neurotoxin, horror, disgusting chemicals. The oil is toxic as well, and at least when it's on the surface, you have a chance of trying to collect it. When mm-hmm. it goes in the water column, forget it. And um, so I was watching this, and I called a buddy of mine at ABC News, and I was like, "Listen, Sam, uh, Sam Champion at the time, he said Good Morning America," and I was like, "Sam, you know, I, people aren't telling the right story here." And I did a little research, and no one's ever been diving into an oil slick in an oil spill before. I was like, we need to do this and show the world what's going on. Wow. And so it took like a couple weeks no to sort out. No one's done it because it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm just yeah, throwing that out there. Uh, Who would dive into oil? Of like, yeah. yeah, it's a soup of toxic. Can you mud. even swim in oil? Like, what does it feel like? It's, well, sure at that point, it's like globs of oil floating around. Okay. So we didn't actually swim in it because, no, you don't want to do that. And yeah. we needed to be in a full hazmat, like hazardous material dive equipment with mm-hmm. hard helmets and hoses to the surface and like galvanized rubber dry suits, and which mine had a leak in it. So I had like these oily water like slowly coming up as I was talking to... <sighs> to the camera underwater um, but Sam and I went did, did the dive and went into it and then I did it again with CNN a, a month or so later and um, um, just trying to show people like okay there's there's something going on and that was a big part of my kind of storytelling piece and then led us to, to work together but um, yeah it's hard to, to, to you know you have to make things sometimes a spectacle you have to make them kind of very scary and dangerous yeah. or very funny you know, you find those 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 tools for telling story that that you can convey these issues in a way that that will get people to to pay attention, and and it is really hard. Certainly. Yeah. So what what's like I guess the overarching thing that justifies putting yourself in these dangerous situations to educate humans? I think the ends, 
at the education. Mm -hmm. If people can learn from some of the crazy things we do, we were just talking the other day. Um, we had a show on Travel Channel. It was three seasons. We traveled around the Caribbean looking for pirate treasure. Mm -hmm. um, but during that, you know, that's kind of how we got the audiences in, right? Gotcha. Let's go look for treasure yeah. in the Caribbean. I, sounds fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, I'll watch that. <laughs> but really, we also talked about history. Philippe was a history major at university. So we talked about history. We talked about, you know, old world versus new. We talked about shipping. We talked about wooden boats and how you probably wouldn't want to go across an ocean in one of those. Yeah. Um, but also invasive species, plastic pollution, hurricane damage and even climate change and honestly i will say you know ships don't tend to sink off the beautiful beaches where everybody's like laying out in their bikinis <laughs> having you know having a nice relaxing day mm -hmm. they sink in on you know coral it's rocky coral reefs where there's awful wind where there's all these things so currents and current, yeah so yeah. during the course of filming i they were honestly i i mean and i'm so sorry to, to say this because i don't think i've ever told my parents but there were times when Philippe and I were like, oh my gosh. Like he, you almost got swept out to sea twice. Like mm -hmm. really almost got swept out to sea twice. Mm -hmm. um, We'd be diving stuck places in where the current or the swell, you know, will go back and forth kind of near coastal areas. And it's going back and forth like six feet. So it's throwing you six yeah. feet. One of you our dive masters almost broke his back. Rocks. Wow. Yeah. You have visibility that can be a couple feet. Um, and you're surrounded by like metal and all sorts mm. of different things, like hazardous materials. And wow. You're just reaching around because you can't see anything. And Ashton got staff infections because we'd be Ooh. in ports that are very yeah. dirty and gross. Um, I almost got hit on the head by a boat. Got stuck in a cave yeah. at one point. <laughs> underwater. Um, underwater, which is not so good, as you can imagine. But it was um, those things where we kind of knew. I mean, if it was really, really, really dangerous we wouldn't do it because yeah. we're like, look, there's so many more things we can do there's with our lives. That but that's, that's like, certainly dangerous enough to the point where you, you have to constantly remind yourself that you're doing it for a reason. Exactly. Yes. And we're like, if this is going to get people to, to tune in and, and maybe even just understand how currents work yeah, yeah. or understand how powerful wave power is, mm -hmm. then it's worth it. So I think for us, we always kind of our, our umbrella on all of our projects is can we teach people? And can we maybe and can we reach um, a group of people that maybe wouldn't sit down mm -hmm. and watch something yeah. like about ocean health, but they might sit down and watch a show about pirates. Yeah. So we're always trying to kind of like diversify the audience for the ocean it's, in general. Yeah, it's genius. That's great. Yeah. Um, you, Philippe, you mentioned something earlier before about the BP oil spill and how they put the uh, I forget what would you call dispersant it? dispersant yeah. in the water and made it disappear so people couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. I feel like that. You know, not being able to see something is the, the main reason why humans lack compassion for that certain thing. Um, uh, Grayson and I, after studying uh, like the animal agriculture industry, decided to make a personal decision to go vegan. For those reasons, you know, we just don't see where you know, our food is coming from. And I think the ocean um, suffers a lot because of that. I, I think humans are used to flushing the toilet and seeing our waste go down the toilet. Go away. You know, yeah. Yeah, spitting, spitting, uh, yeah. Spitting toothpaste into the into the drain and, and flushing it down with water, taking showers, you don't think about water as much. Yeah. It, it, we're just kind of conditioned to think, oh, it's just mm -hmm. there to collect my waste. Yeah, or where does water come from? Out of my tap. It's like, yeah. no, where does it come from? Exactly. <laughs> and then where does it go? <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. that's really insightful, guys, because so many people don't think about that, and mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the. Sorry, I jumped in. Mm -hmm. I'll, then I'll give it to you. But I think that's probably one of the biggest issues facing our ocean is, for the most part, mm -hmm. um, until Philippe's grandfather invented 
the actual aqualung, which which is, we need to talk about. Well, yeah, yeah. So well how we scuba dive. Yeah. But until that, you know, all we really knew about the ocean was what we saw on the top, and yeah. then what we pulled out of it in the form of seafood, and what we threw into it in our. Uh, it, what we threw into it like trash because yeah. that's what people used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is actually one of the ocean's kind of biggest PR problems mm-hmm. It's just yeah. that you can't see it. You can't yeah. see the destruction because if people are horrified by large scale farming and agriculture, which it is very scary when you actually start watching it, they would be horrified about mm-hmm. large fleets of shipping vessels. They would mm-hmm. be horrified by trawling underwater trawling where they go and just rake the entire bottom of the ocean i watched these spirits blew my mind so it's like we just it's just things that uh, out of sight out of mind yeah yeah Yeah. that's absolutely right big pr problem yeah yeah like we hear about the the amazon rainforest and it's it's awful you know i mean people are like deforesting it they're making planes for 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 agriculture for animals and stuff like that um and crappy and, toilet paper and burning it yeah exactly yeah. and taking yeah. it just for paper and, and, and things that you know there's we there's don't need options. anymore yeah, yeah exactly yeah. um but they're doing the same thing but i mean times a gajillion to the ocean yeah, they're, they're raking the, algae which also absorbs co2 like trees do but 10 times more of it which is you know mm-hmm. i mean well I, if you think bottom trawling a great example they yeah. use and actually we brought you a copy of our new book just and there's a before and oh, after photo you. from bottom thank trawling you. in it yeah and it's talks about um like if you if you think about it for example like a, a healthy it's like the ocean isn't empty there's always life and it's full of diversity it's full of all sorts of different things and the bottom in particular is full of coral and and rocky reefs and and ecosystems that are rich in life so let's imagine you want to go in and catch shrimp so shrimp is one of the most unsustainable fisheries on the planet period yeah. can you explain um, why a little bit i feel like because of, so mostly because of yeah. bottom trawling so okay. this is so yeah. this is the the main way that that shrimp is caught is through bottom trawling which is essentially where they take a big net big hoop net with a ring around like as it big kind as of your a house. frame yeah. net. big heavy metal rollers and things to keep it on the bottom and they'll drag it across the bottom of the ocean mm-hmm. um, shrimp tend to be towards the bottom they, that that's kind of yeah. where they live and so they 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 would go to scoop them all up um, now, it, the problem is, is that think of it as if you had a beautiful forest and you were like, you know what? I want to catch all the squirrels. Mm-hmm. And you took this massive net with all this metal rakers and rollers and all these weights and things and pulled it and dragged it along the entire forest, killing everything and leaving nothing but like a dirt pile behind. And you left all the other animals, the deer and the bear and the, the rabbits and the birds in a pile dead on Even the forest the trees. floor. In the mm-hmm. trees, yeah. everything. Yeah. And just pulled out the squirrels. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense. That's what bottom trawling is. Yeah. yeah. It would never be allowed on land. Mm-hmm. It's the number one killer of sea turtles, of dolphins, things like that in the Gulf of Mexico, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all just to catch shrimp. And so um, that's one example of what you're talking about, where like these kinds of practices out of sight, out of mind, mm-hmm. people would lose their minds yeah. if we did the same thing on land. So there's deforestation in the Amazon, yeah. but for a long time, we were living mangrove forests faster yeah. Yeah. than rainforests. And a square acre of mangrove absorbs more carbon than a square acre of rainforest. And so mm-hmm. these blue economy ecosystems like mangroves and seagrass that nobody thinks about and we destroy wantonly yeah. and that everybody's freaking out about the Amazon, the Amazon is valuable, don't get me wrong is definitely an imbalance in terms of our outrage and what we need to be thinking about. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, there's also the idea of, okay, well, you know, you can farm shrimp 
Yeah. Right? So people are like, well, I won't have ocean shrimp or wild shrimp. I'll do the farm shrimp. But the problem with the farm shrimp is they usually go into these coastal areas where there's mangroves. I saw one shrimp farm around the coast of Hawaii. Oh, it's terrifying, yeah. right? There are, there are, I was like, what is that? I mean, some, some of them. Small outfits that do like, a really good job yeah. of, of warehouse where they grow and they recirculate the water. This was like they, in a vast area on a field, like right on the ocean. Oftentimes they're not like, so good. Yeah. Because yeah. they go in, they, you know, they have to cut away the natural um, land barrier, which is usually mangroves or seagrass, and then they put all these fish in there that then they have to feed, yeah. but then they poop, then that water goes right out to the ocean, and then they usually have to pump it through full of um, antibiotics as well. Mm-hmm. Just so like industrial ant- farming. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Then that's going out to the ocean too. So it's I, it's really hard when people, because an after seaspiracy, a lot of people have been asking us, okay, well, do you, A, we don't eat fish. Okay. Yeah. And I, Leaf's never yeah. eaten seafood. I used to. I'll still have oysters every once in a while because they're actually good. Oysters, they will. They're great. They filter water. They're they're a great part of the blue economy. Um, but uh, I don't really eat anything else just because it is so tricky. It's yeah. really tricky and it's really hard to trace things too. Yeah. So even if it says sustainable, yeah, who's going to be able to prove to you where they caught that fish? What is it? Forty percent. Um, one in every three pieces of fish sold in the United States are mm-hmm. mislabeled. Yeah. So not even it's like not telling what, what you that it's sustainable. It is, yeah. It's like a completely different it's a, fish. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's it's just it's yeah. it's hard. I mean, it's yeah. really really hard to break through, mm-hmm. especially on for fishing. And and if somebody is you know a pescatarian, it's really hard to find mm-hmm. responsible fish. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There's a lot of a lot of people that are vegan or, or mostly vegan will say that oh yeah I'm vegan besides fish and I'm and I'm just like I'm vegan but I eat a little bit of fish yeah, yeah. And, and it's 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 <laughs> how, crazy. how do you get that little bit of fish on yeah. someone's plate you're like so yeah. you're pescatarian yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but you, like you said bottom trawling you have to destroy an entire ecosystem mm. just to get a, a little bit of fish on someone's and plate and I, I heard a, I heard a crazy statistic that almost for every tuna that's caught about two dolphins are, are also killed in the process, like because of overkill and overcatch and stuff like dolphins, that. Bycatch, dolphins, yeah, bycatch. bycatch, yes. Uh, dolphins, seabirds, hundreds yeah. of thousands, not millions of seabirds are killed every year yeah. because these long lines that float, the, the seabirds will go in and be like, oh, there's a little food hanging on that, and grab it, get the hook stuck in their mouth, and they drown because they can't yeah. come back to the surface. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's all it's so pretty would, awful. Would you say that yeah. a little bit of fish is still just not sustainable because it's never a little bit of Again, fish? Again, I think it depends. Um, general, that's probably pretty accurate. Yeah. But for some things, you know, there's some freshwater fish, tilapia and trout and things like that that can be, you know, a good choice. There are some sustainable, you know, shrimp farms that do it responsibly. But in general, if you're going places, it's really, really hard to, yeah. you know, we sell people the same thing for people that choose to eat meat or any of that stuff. Like, first of all, we should be eating a heck of a lot less than what we are all eating. Yeah. Second of all, like if you are going to eat it, really do your homework on, yeah. on really making yeah. an effort to find out. The problem is, unlike with beef, we know it's beef or you know it's chicken. Seafood, if you get this a, a fillet of like a white fish, yeah. flaky fish that's already cut and, and they're like, oh, it's Chilean sea bass or something like that, yeah. which is really unsustainable. Then uh, you don't know. It might be tilapia. Like, so yeah. the mislabeling of fish is a whole other level of, of, of challenges around seafood choices. Yeah. 
than land-based protein because you again you know the difference between beef and chicken. Yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I uh, I I a few years back I ordered this panko at a at a at a fish restaurant and a, a friend of mine said his friend worked there and he told me that it was actually just carp like from like a cesspool of just fish and carp is a big one like is, uh, is, is a carp yeah. tilapia like it was their fish that eat anything but it, yeah mm-hmm. it was like a yeah. bottom feed and i yeah, was like wow yeah, that's yeah. crazy they sold me something and they called it something else yeah. and, uh, and from that day on i didn't i didn't order fish off the menu yeah, yeah that's what i came to like a, a conclusion that i think it was it's just safest to opt out of all of it altogether yeah. especially yeah. right now while while our earth is in such dire need of change yeah. and listen, or you, you know, could always be like us and get two pet chickens yeah. <laughs> and we eat their eggs and yeah. they're delicious but that's because they live in our little front yard yeah. and we give them food scraps and you know it's so i think there's there's definitely ways for people to do it and and like for instance like my father I, he's from that generation where it's protein i gotta yeah, eat yeah. protein so I'm just constantly like like little inch by inch and mm-hmm. and just you know yeah. getting somebody like him to at least try you know yeah. I don't think he'll ever not eat meat mm-hmm. I just don't think it's an option yeah. but I can at least help him make better choices yeah. or at least yeah. not you know? eat it three times a day yeah. you know, you know yeah, I mean that's that, true. the 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 idea of, you know it's it's complicated especially when you try and get people to think differently about things you know like mm-hmm. people to make a leap Mm-hmm. From one day eating meat to one day being a vegan is very rare. It oh, happens, yeah, totally. right? I mean, for yeah. me, I was so anti-vegan before I became. I can't. I can't even believe I'm a vegan. Uh, I mean, now after the research I've done, I, I know why I am. But yeah. before then, I, I never saw myself being. Yeah, vegan. it's yeah. it's it's hard. But but we're always trying to encourage people to like be willing to at least think differently about yeah. these things. Like you said, do your homework about reduce, what you're eating. Yeah, you know? exactly. I think sometimes you do your homework and you realize. Maybe I don't want to eat that. Be, yeah. or partake. I can in make that. a different yeah. choice. Like yeah. I don't need. And 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 it's definitely a. A marketing it's like bottled water manufactured demand this idea that that after generations like we've all been trained that you gotta eat meat every meal you gotta like guess who was telling us that the meat business exactly like, come on people like it's yeah. not actually founded in any kind of nutritional science yeah it's just you can't even consume you know your body can't can't fun, um, um, process more than about six ounces of, of meat at a time yeah the rest is just wasted and so people yeah. are eating these 20 ounce steaks and you're like you yeah. don't you can't even use all that from yeah. a nutritional perspective yeah. so mm-hmm. it's so much manufactured demand in our in our world today that mm-hmm. that is killing yeah. us and then also beautiful documentaries like um that they just won the the oscars two days ago which is huge um uh, my octopus teacher Love. that touches on the, the sentience of these these sea creatures and just creatures that live amongst us on this planet um that i'm really appreciative of those documentaries coming out because i think animal sentience is also what you know mm-hmm. converted me to being a vegan and, and thinking about that they're not much different from you know my, my pet dog that i love and give kisses to it's yeah and if anything they're here. smarter than us yeah. i mean um for octopus. octopus they have technically nine brains wow. uh, they have one main brain right um but then each arm has its own you could classify it as a brain, but it's really a, a, a bundle of nerves. But each arm can act and do its own thing. Wow. So technically, they have nine brains, and they only live for a year. If if octopuses or octopi, by the way, both are right. So yeah. don't feel guilty if you say one over the other. Both are correct. Both are correct. <laughs> um, if they live for longer than a year, the, they would probably figure out a way to kill all the humans. Oh, and take <laughs> over the world. I mean, they're or or cure or cure human diseases. Or they would figure yeah. out they'd be like, okay, guys, come on. They are like, well, they'd forgive the, us for all that we've done to them. They're amazing. Exactly. Yes. Yes, mea culpa, right? Um, I know when I see people in octopus at a, at a restaurant, I'm just like, oh, I can't. Yeah. yeah, I've had a similar experience, not to the depth that that he had in that film, which is an extraordinary film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had over the years been able to be in places where you know I always look for octopus because they're my favorite thing, and one that I found in particular, I remember we were diving in Bonaire and it was right off the dock, and I knew the little um, rock that it was hiding under, and I went back 
two or three times a day over the course of like a week or so. And after a couple of days, he wouldn't hide anymore. He would kind of come out and he'd definitely wow. recognize me. I'd go with someone else and he'd be scared and he'd come wow. out and he'd reach his tentacle out and like wrap, wrap it around my finger. And like wow. you'd connect it with this creature. <laughs> it was really yeah. amazing. I still remember it to this day and it was probably 15 years ago. Yeah. Have you connected with other marine life or was it just that octopus? You know, it takes time. Yeah. So, um, not always. Not, well, that's true, actually. Yes. Ashlyn, so Ashlyn's one of those people that can walk into a room and everyone's like, I'm just going to tell you my life story. And I only met you yeah, five minutes I, ago. I, I don't know why she's like <laughs> that. Just everybody was a doctor. It's like the so animals welcome. are the same exactly. way. Exactly. Yes. I'm just southern. I so, can help it. It's animals are the same way. Yeah. But yes, that's true. Ashlyn has a thing with, with animals. So I had, um, for my 30th birthday, um, I Philippe asked what I wanted. We had just started dating, and I'm sure that he was terrified I was going to say. I was worried about that because here's someone who's on, like, again, on the right carpets was, yeah, and gowns for and going to events and the Oscars and all this stuff. I'm like, what is she going to want for her 30th birthday? Like, uh, like a diamond uh, tiara. Yeah, like, yeah. like oh my um, God, what is going to happen? I work for a nonprofit. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. So um, I told him what I really wanted to do, which was I wanted to go diving with great white sharks. Wow. Um, yes, I can do that. So Philippe was like, well, we can do that. Might just happen after your birthday. I was like, not a problem. And so one of the experiences that I've had, um, which is really honestly what kickstarted my okay, I have to help the oceans. So Philippe and I went down and we went on a boat. We left Mexico and we went to Guadalupe Island. And it's during seal pupping season. So you kind of also have to get your head around that, right? Oh, the sharks yeah. are there because they're eating the seal pups. But that's just that's just system. nature. Yeah. Yeah, um, like, yes. So we were there. But the cool thing is, is if once a, a big shark, especially a great white, if they have a big meal, they don't have to eat for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. So they're just hanging out. Like, oh, I didn't looking, even know that. Yeah, Sharks. they're just like looking for stuff to do. They're just like hanging out, cruising kind of around. Mm-hmm. So we went down in like a submersible cage that went down about 33 feet. And at one point, so the females, female great, shark, great white sharks are much larger than males. So at one point, this huge female comes. She's about 17 feet long. And it's their girth that yeah. you look like. Like, okay, that's like this room. That's people don't realize. But you don't, don't understand, like, how it's big. It's not just the length. Oh, yeah. It's like, huge. It's probably, like, six feet wide. Yeah. In terms of, like, just how big just the body is. muscle. Like, I can't even imagine. Oh, you can't until you see it. You're just like, and oh, you're like a school bus swimming by. Like, yeah. that's wow. And she came. I mean, I'm, and I got what they call shark neck because literally your wetsuit will rub because you're just, like, looking around, like, trying to find all the sharks. And so... There I am with like my head out of the cage and she just comes right here. And when she came, I didn't realize that sharks had pupils. So their eye, her eye looked very similar to Philippe's or mine. So when she came, she stared at me right in the eye and I stared at her and she literally like stopped for, I don't know what felt like a minute, but I'm sure it wasn't, but it was, she stopped for a few seconds and we just like stared at each other. She like, I remember you telling me, cause I was behind you and I could see it and she was just kind of like looking yeah, you up and like, down and like, scan like me up and down and was like, wow. like thinking. I feel like she was like, hey girl. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like they're, it, you can tell they're thinking. And not yeah. in a aggressive way. That's what's always, when people are afraid of sharks, we're always like, well, are you afraid of all dogs because you've met one mean dog? Yeah. You know, like sharks are so cool. When you see them, you kind of can tell by their posture. If they're mm-hmm. like, oh, hey, or if they're like, I'm yeah. hungry. And yeah. So that was one thing. And then another time when we were diving, I had a grouper. And this is when I stopped eating, really stopped eating fish. I had a grouper swim up to me. And Philippe had always told me that groupers were kind of the puppy dogs of the ocean. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay. So this grouper swam up to me and kind of like, and there it was a big, 200 pounds maybe? They're like the Bernadoodles of the ocean. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> we'll put it in context yeah. here, if you <laughs> So it, he like, he or she came up and was like right here with big teeth and just like looked at me. And I was like, 
hi. So I kind of like reached my hand out. Now, mind you, this thing's probably like three or four oh, yeah. feet long. Yeah, it's like, like a Goliath really, grouper. Yeah, Goliath really grouper, big, yeah. So I'm like, and and the fish just like put its chin like on my hand. My dog, my like, puppy sleeps like that. Yeah, there you go. Like, oh my god! And then started swimming away, but kept looking back at me. So I was like, I. I think this fish wants me to and follow I'm, it. I'm like watching this from wow. kind of far off and I'm just seeing this whole thing unfold. And it's, you wouldn't think that, that, that you could read the body language of a fish and have a specific intent from that fish that you mm. understand, but you can. Wow. So he or she took me on this tour of the reef where they lived. And, it was if, a, and if Ashton would stop and get distracted, the fish like- Because I have ADD, so I'd be like, oh, what's And that? like <laughs> swim back and like wait for her. Yeah, and yeah. it would like look at what I was looking at, and then and it then, finally like, took me into it's, it's like it, we like it, we kind of penetrated the the coral reef that we were on, and it mm -hmm. took me into like its little house wow. where it's they sleep in yeah. caves typically. So wow. yeah, it took her. Wow, <laughs> so I'm watching this whole and, thing. I'm like, it was a fish. This is unbelievable. So yeah, wow. so when people say, um, and that's why you stopped eating seafood. And at that altogether. point, yeah, at that point, I was like, oh, and and now still, if I see grouper on a menu, it like brings tears to my yeah. tears to my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy <laughs> that we're we're the uh, we live through a tough time right now. And I believe we're all sort of part of the same generation if we're alive right now because we need to make such a big pivot yeah. um, that I feel like we're all like, you know, working together as a team. Mm -hmm. And it's like we're the ones who have to go through the personal experiences like that, like meeting a fish and realizing it has a personality to kind of realize that, oh, maybe it doesn't sit right with me that we're, you know, needlessly killing them and putting them on dishes mm -hmm. um, for money. So I, it, the same thing happened with us. We were about to go hunting and that's where, like, okay, we can't eat animals anymore. I can't kill an animal. Um, but yeah, and, and your guys' amazing foundation, Earth Echo International, um, is educating children on, on what needs to be changed about this, this world with um, focus on, on the ocean. Mm -hmm. uh, like fun science projects, and well not science projects, but yeah. I guess so, you can equip them with like science kits, yeah, right? Yeah, we're all about building the movement, yeah. right? So, yeah. what, so, sorry, real quick, sorry, what, yeah. what in, I just think that's so amazing, I just have to say before, yeah, uh, because it's, it is very difficult, you said, to get an adult to change their perspective. Yeah. You said, um, was it your, your father? He's not gonna, you know, you might not see a day where he doesn't eat meat, but our children, they don't know uh, to eat meat yet, so, yeah. uh, and fish and seafood and stuff, so. Uh, a foundation like yours is is going to enlighten a lot of children and help them make decisions that feel right to them. You know, my, my grandfather grew up um, in the south of France in a time when, as Ashwin was saying, we didn't really know anything about the ocean, very little about nature, period. Yeah. And it wasn't until he had a car accident, broke his back, and was going to be in the French naval aviation program, but was washed out from flying, devastated. He was told to swim in the Mediterranean every day to rebuild his strength. Wow. He, that's where his kind of love and curiosity of the ocean came from. But all you could do at the time was hold your breath and swim down. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Homemade goggles and stuff. I mean, you couldn't go to the store and buy this stuff. And um, he became frustrated and he created this valve 77 years ago that is what we use today to scuba dive, regulators, that could take air under pressure in a tank and convert it to ambient air pressure on demand when you breathe it in. So your lungs didn't explode, right? Because you breathe, you know, you breathe yeah. off a pressurized tank, you can't do that. Yeah, Lungs explode, and that's bad. Yeah. That's <laughs> typically not advisable is yeah. to have your lungs explode. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, in creating this invention, changed the world, and it's 77 years ago, I always tell people, like, that's a lifetime. One lifetime, 77 years ago. Yes. Yeah. And in that period, we've learned so much. But prior to that, we knew virtually nothing. So we've actually come a long way. But my grandfather was one who always said, you know, we have to focus on education before we can focus on conservation because we have to grow mm -hmm. people's understanding and literacy about these issues and connect to nature, like you mm -hmm. were saying, Ethan. And this idea that, that, that we all have a, a role to play in nurturing and being compassionate about the world. 
Um, and that's really what Earth Echo is all about, about building a global movement of youth that are doing such extraordinary things. Yeah. I mean, look at what you achieved when you were 14. Like people all think like adult, you know, kids have to grow up before they can change yeah. the world. But like, or like magically goodness. when you turn 18, that's when you can like change yeah. the world. So it's you like, can do no, you can no, you can change it today. I mean, young people we work with all over the world, Angola and, and Kenya and India and Saudi Arabia and Argentina and all over the US and Canada and Australia. They're, they're passing laws and changing their communities and creating communications. Thing. I mean, like, they're doing so many wonderful things. And that's really, I think, what gives us, I think Ashwin would agree, it gives us both hope. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, things like our, our water challenge, Earth Echo Water Challenge, which has been around for 15 years. We've activated 1.6 million people in 146 countries to understand where their water comes from, to test the water, take action to improve the quality of water. Something as simple as that. Yeah. But it, can, it changes people's lives and, um, and their perspective on the world. So getting people to connect at a young age, yeah. that's what we need to be investing in. And frankly, the environmental movement has not invested in if we're going to actually make the kind of change that, that we could make. And that's the good news. Yeah. We always try and tell people, leave them with hope. It's like, this world's not finished. Yes, yeah. there's a lot of bad things going on. In my lifetime, we've lost half the world's biodiversity in 40 years. Like, half. Wow. So I've got a little, we've got a little daughter, and it's like, how dare we pass on a world that's so diminished to her? Like, who gave us the right to do that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and to any of our children. And yet, there's so many amazing tools that we have at our disposal. So many amazing people out there that are fighting every day. We get caught up in the rancor and the division of news and media these days so easily mm-hmm. it's doom scrolling and all these things that happen but there's so much good news too and there's so and you can walk into any classroom anywhere in the world both Hash and i do it all the time and like the optimism and the hope and the determination on the face of young people yeah is like so wonderful yeah that's amazing i i uh i wish i had something like the water challenge to do when i was when i was young like i remember running i mean i guess i was young when it when it started i just unfortunately didn't hear about it but a little younger, like I remember running through like a river in New Jersey and just like pretending to be a werewolf or something. <laughs> but I would have loved to have like the equipment to check the water and feel like yeah. I was saving my community. Like those kids in Colorado did. That was, yeah. I heard that story. That was amazing. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah so Earth Echo Water Challenge, again, is, is, is a simple kit tool. Um, and, that... it, and it hits that, sorry, I just want to interrupt for a second. It hits that idea of what we were talking about before where, you know, you ask someone, where does your water come from? Mm-hmm. And they say the tap. And yeah. you say, okay, well, no, it actually comes from your local watershed. Mm-hmm. And no matter where you live, your water comes locally. Um, and so, it, you know, it's just really how do you get people to connect and, and actually feel their water? It's not like, you know, when you look at meat or look at food, it's like, mm-hmm. where does food come from? Supermarket. No, it doesn't. Yeah. It's grown somewhere or it's raised somewhere, you know, it comes from somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so connecting people to water is, I think, we think one of the most fundamental things we can do. And yeah. it's, it's a program that runs every year and, and Simple Kit. And we work with kids like all over the world and groups, after school groups, families, communities, great thing for parents to do. And they get this kit and they go out and they test the quality of that water. And then we provide lots of resources about like, okay, if it's not good, what can you do to fix it? Right. Mm-hmm. How do you communicate in your community? How can you advocate for legislation or how do you you know do any number of different things that can um that can make things better because as we saw in flint michigan a few years ago you know everybody remembers that horror like we can't just assume that the water we drink or that air we're breathing is is okay yeah we have to take some personal can you just brief us on what happened in michigan okay. so flint michigan is 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 an example where the city to save money decided to divert water from i think they were getting it um from a river or one of the lakes 
and they started to divert it to another river mm. that was closer to Flint, but that f river was industrialized and had all sorts of pollutants in it. Ooh. And so they started to, particularly lead, but other, other chemicals mm. and, and heavy metals, um, and weren't testing the water the way they were supposed to. Mm. Uh, so instead of taking in clean water, they were taking in dirty water, and that was then going to all of the homes. Yeah. And the families, and, and the families. kids. Mm. And, and lead is particularly pernicious because heavy metals. Pernicious, that's a good word. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good job. Uh, so heavy metals like conduct electricity or don't, right? I mean, yeah. so they, they interrupt electrical charges. So mm -hmm. heavy metals in your body have that same effect. And for de children's developing minds, lead pollution causes permanent, irreparable, long-term damage neurologically and physically. Mm -hmm. And so they were starting to see these kids that were having problems, wow. these little kids, like and nobody could figure out why until they started testing the water. And they're like, this is like toxic. Mm -hmm. And the municipality, the city, was feeding this to its people. Wow. And these kids now- Because it was cheaper, correct? Because it was cheaper. Yeah. Save money. These, these kids now forever will be their mental capacity will be diminished to what it could have been simply mm -hmm. because of the water they were drinking. So, and this is everywhere. I mean, here in California, um, there's new reports that have been coming out of the last few years. There are thousands of communities that have high levels of PFAS, right? These chemicals, these forever chemicals that, that are used in plastic manufacturing or lead pollution. Like, it's a real issue and that, that I think we forget. Um, um, now, most municipalities, LA has excellent water. We've seen the whole systems and do their best. And, and you know, most water is, is great in this country. We're very fortunate because a lot of countries don't have access to that. Yeah. But you can't take it for granted. Yeah. And in any case, what we're about is just connecting people. And we have all sorts of different programs we do beyond that from, you know, our focus on ocean conservation and biodiversity, lots of different stuff we do at Earth Echo. But um, it's really about how do we help people recognize, you know, we have a saying at Earth Echo, it's not that you can make a difference. Is that everything you do makes a difference. All yeah. your choices have consequences. And so how do you get engaged in a positive and hopeful way and not sit there and be like, the world's falling apart and I can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. That's nonsense. We all have the power to change the world. Yeah, mm -hmm. multiple times a day too. Multiple exactly. times. how we spend our all of our choices. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So where do you guys get your water from? That's just a question that came up in my <laughs> mind because uh, it, it's scary. Like the, from the, our tap. Honestly, okay. we have uh, we live in we live in West Hollywood, and we get it from our tap. We do have a really nice filter on. Okay, it. we got a filtration system yeah. as well. And so I installed the filtration system underneath. Yeah, the, you did it all by yourself. Yeah, I love the, doing DIY man. stuff around the house. We had nine people come and install ours. No one could get it right. So <laughs> congratulations. Well, it was just the under the sink one yeah. for the kitchen. So was ours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that for us that's it and you know we don't use bottled water a plastic and yeah. b the water in it is usually cooked so there's nothing in it wow. which Not is good because there's no bad stuff in it but then there's no good stuff in it wow. either because your water should have some minerals some natural things in it for you um but yes there's also microplastics as well microplastics and so bottled water is terrifying wow yeah. I didn't even know that. Can you tell me about microplastics? Oh, microplastics. Oh, they're so awful. Because um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like this is... I know. Sorry, guys. Oh, sorry. No, no. no, no I love no. this stuff. It's, I feel like it's important. It's yeah. good. No, this, this, this is like um, every... Seriously, hearing yeah. for the first time... People drink bottled water every day. It might change. Day. I, yeah. I, to be honest, we had bottled water in our fridge for a little while when we first moved here. And I was like... To be honest, I feel like we don't even need it now. We have this. We got the filter now, and, yeah. and, and I always knew plastic wasn't great. Didn't know why, and I didn't even yeah. do my research. I just kind of went with the filter because yeah. I, I feel so. We just yeah. we got plastic bottles out of our fridge because I was seeing like 
you know, ocean pollution and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But now I'm hearing for the first time about microplastics and yeah. I didn't even know I could have been drinking yeah. that. So I guess what we're saying is I, we like to know why we installed the filtration system yeah. at our house. Okay. Yeah. It was you a did. good investment. Yes. It was absolutely okay. the right um, thing to for do. For your health. Yeah. So microplastics, oh man, they're, you know, when we talk about plastics in our ocean, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Um, about 8 million met- metric tons. That's a low estimate is entering our ocean every single year. So that's like wow. a New York City garbage truck full of trash, full of plastic right into the ocean every minute, right? So that's, I mean, when you think of it, that's kind of crazy, but it's not all bags and bottles and plastic cutlery. A lot of it also now is microplastics and that enters the water in a couple different ways. Number one, when those big pieces of plastic break down in the sun, because they actually photodegrade. So the sun breaks them down into smaller and smaller pieces. So the difference between biodegrade mm. is where things break down into kind of their elemental constituent like parts, naturally, right? Like yeah. natural, natural elements that came together, the carbons and things like that, that, that made them up. Mm. They break back down into that and get reabsorbed into the soil. Like plants will degrade by yes. biodegrading yes. in the soil. Photodegradation means sunlight breaking it down. They mm. don't actually break down into their individual parts that can be reabsorbed in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. They just get smaller. Again, they never go away. So they break down to these smaller and smaller, 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 smaller particles. And one of the issues that the ocean is having right now, one of the main, well, there's a lot of issues, but one of the main issues is that this plastic has broken down so small that we can't get it out. Uh, When you hear people talk about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, a lot of people think it's a big island of plastic trash that you can go out there and scoop up. And they're like, well, why aren't we doing that? Well, because a lot of the plastic is actually tiny pieces. Mm -hmm. Another reason, if you don't want you know, to choose not to eat fish, is fish think the plastic, it actually looks like their regular food. Mm-hmm. So smaller on the food chain, who usually eat uh, microplankton or zooplankton um, or ph- phytoplankton, they will go in and eat these little pieces of plastic thinking it's their food. Even for us, if you look at it under a microscope, kind of jagged little tiny, tiny, tiny little pieces of plastic, microscopic, mm-hmm. yeah. looks a lot like their food. Yeah, and they certainly don't know the difference. So yeah, they eat it all up. So they eat it. Then a bigger fish eats them, but a bigger fish eats them, and then it accumulates. So when a fish ends up on your plate, more than likely at this point, it's going to be some full of plastic. Wow. And and um, and also in, go back to bottled water. Right. Microplastics can also is also found in in bottled water because you know plastic isn't like you know you bend plastic, you can break it apart, right? Yeah. If you've ever seen it out in the you know, if you're walking outside and it's sitting in the gutter, it's kind of getting, it's been in the sun for a while, it kind of gets cloudy and kind of yeah. gets easier to break mm-hmm. up. So all those tiny little bits of plastic, even in a bottled water, that water will, that plastic will slough off. Like little bits of that plastic will come off in the water mm-hmm. as it's sitting there on the shelf and being manufactured. And then you're drinking it. And those plastic, microplastics are being absorbed into your body. Yeah. Microplastics, particularly in the ocean, but also can be endocrine disruptors, have all sorts of problems in your hormones, all sorts of problems in, in like your physiology. Right. Um, so yeah, every time you're drinking bottled water, you're also drinking plastic. Yeah. Wow. And here's another thing that I always love to kind of blow people's minds with. A lot of people don't think about their clothes. And when you wash something that's made of plastic, little plastic fibers, microfibers, will break off and enter the water system. Just like but fibers of ex- cotton. Like yeah. think yeah. of when you like take your dryer out and you have to clean out the lint from your dryer. That's yeah. like little bits of, of, of cotton and things like that. Same thing happens to... Clothes made out of plastic. But a lot of people say, well, I don't wear plastic. I don't buy plastic clothes. But um, a lot of rayon, lycra, 
nylon. Wow. It's actually petroleum based. Wow. So if you're wearing clothes that are made from non-natural resources, you're actually wearing plastic. And every time you wash it, the plastic is shedding off and entering the water system, entering your local municipality. And a lot of municipalities can't get the plastic out either. Yeah. So another reason that it was good that you put a water filter in your house. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for letting us know. Yeah. I feel like the earth as a whole just needs to put a halt on like making any product and we need to figure out the most sustainable resources to do it and yep. then recontinue because yep. it's almost like what do we wear what do we eat mm -hmm. what what can we drink at this point because of yep. all these older generations like just paving the way and not really doing their research beforehand because they didn't have it at their fingertips like we do and then we're just yeah. trying to survive get yeah. by you and know? it's yeah. like that's it's not true. where we're at anymore and a lot yeah. of people still are in the world i mean yes. that's the thing about yeah. fisheries well, i speak yeah. for developed nations of course yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know and 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 fisheries there's so many other ghost nets and you know all these other things i know conspiracy talks about it a lot you mentioned that show earlier but um, there are a lot of people that rely on seafood as their only real source of protein Definitely. food. And that's a yeah. small number of people. It's, well, actually a few hundred million. But um, the idea that, that, yes, we can make better choices and we have new technologies and mm -hmm. this idea of circular economies, I'm sure you know about that. This, mm -hmm. you know, Historically, the way we've functioned in our economy is like, let's go and take a bunch of stuff out of the ground or forest or whatever it is. Then we're going to make something out of it. Then we're going to use that thing. Then we throw it away. And then we go and do it again. Yes. Um, World Wildlife Fund estimates that we consume about one and a half times the amount of resources every year on this planet that we can renew. Wow. So that's like a farmer eating their seed, eating into your seed stock. Not a good idea. Yeah. There's an old saying in physics that if something cannot continue forever, it won't. Yeah. So if you keep eating away at your capital. <laughs> that's a very simple physics lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Very simple <laughs> physics. If it, physics 101. It won't continue. Yeah. So you keep eating all your capital away. At a certain point, something's got to give, right? And yeah. so we're starting to see that. So we're starting to see mislabeling a fish because there aren't any tuna left. Mm -hmm. You know, the stuff isn't left, so we're eating down the food wow. chain. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and you start to see all these problems as opposed to thinking about circular economy. But like, how do you create things that you can use and that then can be either used into something else or can be broken down into their parts and returned mm -hmm. back into the ecosystem? So yeah. like composting with food is a good example. Like you buy or you grow food, you consume that food, you compost waste or you compost food scraps and then reuse those components and back into something else. You can do that with clothes, you can do that with buildings. Like there's so many cool things that are happening. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is we don't wanna like Debbie Downer all the time, but yeah, like, no, there are you know, amazing things that are going so on. so many amazing things that are happening out there too that like we need to embrace and yeah. be a bigger part of and, and demand that our politicians are a part of and yes. shop with companies that are that care about this kind of yeah. stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, as two company owners, we like during this whole pandemic and doing our research about everything, we decided to really make sure that all the resources are sustainable. Um, but yeah, it's it's difficult. It is uh, just the, the the position that the the worlds are in, and, and mm -hmm. the the world has put these companies in um, who are just trying to get off their feet to buy these reusable products. They're mm -hmm. you know a lot more expensive because there have been like subsidies and things like that given to these other companies that are doing it not sustainably. sustainably yeah. Now these other companies that are trying to do it the right way are suffering because they literally just can't get off their feet to make a sustainable company. You're a great yeah. example. <laughs> People always complain about. Not all, not all people, but some people complain about fossil fuels um, yeah. being, you know, pushed aside for renewable energy and subsidies for solar and stuff like that. And they're like, wait, well, you need to compete on a even playing field. And I'm mm -hmm. like, the amount of subsidies we put into fossil fuels oh, yeah. globally is about a trillion dollars, let alone the hidden subsidies where, like, guess who paid for the cleanup in, in, in the Gulf? Guess who paid for all the damage we to the did. seafood? We yeah. all did. Our tax dollars did. So, like, yeah. hidden subsidies for all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, we need a different economic outlook fundamentally that starts mm -hmm. to say, okay, how do we incentivize doing the right thing as opposed to doing the wrong thing, to your point, so that people can get off the, off the ground and, yeah. like, 
do the right thing as opposed and to good. be rewarded mm-hmm. to, for doing for doing bad, mm-hmm. which has been, you know, unfortunately the historic thing. But again, that's that's the good news. There's a lot of interesting new models and theories and mm-hmm. technologies and mm-hmm. um, great innovation that's happening yeah, yeah. in energy and food and production, and educators, you know, manufacturing. And it's there's great things happening out Definitely. there. Um, we had a, a kind of recent experience a couple of years ago. We were in Oahu in the Northern Shore, and um, a friend of ours who grew up there uh, said that fishermen in the community were talking about um, putting a pause on fishing tuna because they were completely just running out. Mm-hmm. But the demand was so high for it on the island that they had to just continue, and now they're like literally facing a point where they're about to run out of tuna. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also, which is crazy. I mean, how how like you hear you hear the term? There's you know so many fish in the sea. Yeah, yeah, uh, we'd be able to say that. You know, like yeah. you know when you're like oh. I'll just, Went through a rough breakup, and your friend says, "You know, there's so many fish in this year, you're gonna be all right. Like, there's something more. <laughs> like, we're not gonna be able to say that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's and that's true. yeah, and that's uh, and, and that's frightening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then also watching documentaries like Game Changers and Seaspiracy, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and just hearing the facts about having a fishless, uh, fishless, fishless ocean. How about that one? <laughs> uh, in our own li- in our in our lifetimes, yeah. um, possibly if if things continue down the path that they are right now. What is your take from all of the experience that you've? Yeah, I heard something about twenty forty eight. 2060 or something like that for having a fishless ocean. I mean, the numbers are, the numbers are terrifying, right? Just to be totally honest. And right now, you know, our our best guess is that 90% of the fish stocks around the world are either overfished or fished to capacity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the nice thing is fish will keep having fries, by the way, a baby fish is a fry. So Mm -hmm. fish will keep having fries. But we have to give them a chance to do so. Um, And some fish, uh, specifically like large oceanic fish, they actually get more fertile the older they get. So like one 80-year-old tuna could pop out. I don't know the number specifically, but she could pop out, you know, 10,000 babies. Than a young tuna. Than a younger Uh, one. They're not like humans. So in humans, we kind of hit a sexual maturity and a peak. And then women in particular go to menopause. You can't have babies anymore. Fish, most fish, fish keep don't on going. do that. They just keep going until they die and wow. keep getting more and, and more, more and more. Yeah. yeah. So. So on one hand, it's yes. I mean, if if we keep fishing at this rate, we are going to mm-hmm. fish ourselves out of fish. Like that's just what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But um, the amazing thing is, is again to go through to go for the hope. You know, Philippe and I have seen with our own eyes what nature can do mm-hmm. and what um, what species, if given a chance, if just given a little break, mm-hmm. how quickly they can rebound. Um, we did a, seri- a, a documentary for Shark Week a couple years back, and we went to the Bikini Atoll, um, which is where SpongeBob SquarePants lived. Um, but it was uh, it's where it's in the Marshall Islands, and it's where the U.S. did all of our nuclear testing during the Cold War. Mm-hmm. So we detonated 23 nuclear bombs on this one one little area. Wow. The largest one was called Castle Bravo, the largest nuclear bomb uh, the United States has ever detonated, and total devastation. Like when that bomb went off, everything for miles died. The coral, the fish, the birds. If there were any people in the area. Um, everything was just gone. Um, but we went, we had heard rumors that the, the area was, had a lot of sharks. We were like, that's weird. So we went and that first dive, I can tell you, you know, in knowing science and kind of knowing how nature works in theory, I thought, okay, well, if it's given a chance, it should recover. Mm -hmm. But on that first dive, 
when our when we went under the water and we were immediately surrounded by like 60 or 70 gray reef sharks there were fish that were the size of philippe there were giant clams that were like half the size of this table i mean wow. it was absolutely incredible and to think just 60 years prior it was a dead zone. Mm-hmm. Nuclear wasted dead zone. And so people just didn't fish there because they thought it was... So essentially it became a marine protected yeah. area, right? Wow. It became this idea where it was just set aside. Nobody went there because of the radiation. And yep. in 60 some odd years, it bounced back. And and that was for both of us it, it, incredibly in, inspiring. So mm-hmm. to answer your question, Ethan, are fish going to be gone out of the ocean by 2050? Is it going to be... Or 26... You know, what? that isn't written yet. Mm-hmm. Are we headed in a pretty dire direction? Yeah. Is it foretold that that will happen? No. Um, and that's the good news. The good mm-hmm. news is that we have, we have tools. these tools that work. Yeah. Um, so there's a big push called um, 30 by 30, which I think you guys have, have heard about because mm-hmm. they mentioned it in, in uh, the documentary. Um, but if, if we can kind of protect 30% of our ocean by 2030, or at least get really close to that, and not just randomly protect random spots, but figure out the spots that are the most biodiverse, that are the most important, just give those a break, then the ocean can, it will recover. It can Mm -hmm. recover. Um, And that's what's so exciting. Like literally that's one of the reasons we're having a second baby because if it was just like, this is what's happening, we'd have been like, yeah, we're good. We don't need another kid. (laughs) But it's things like this that give us hope. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so many, the United States just signed on. Um, There's so many countries, I think we're up to almost like 60 countries around the world that are really supporting this. And if we can do it, we, you can, know. We, we have a chance at, at stopping that yeah. collapse in biodiversity. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we refuse to not have hope. And, yeah. and you know, if there's anything we, we wanted to share today, it's this idea that you know, we've talked a lot about the ocean. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think that the ocean is removed from them or far away or if they've never been to the beach, they don't really care. Um, or if they live in the middle of the country or on a desert, yeah. you know, in a desert. Yeah. Or, they or, think that the ocean doesn't really uh, apply to them. Yeah. You yeah. know, kids we've worked with here in L.A., Miami, and big cities around the world that live a couple miles from the ocean and have never been. So mm-hmm. from inland to coastal pe- people that just don't think the ocean matters. Our message is the ocean matters every single day to every single person on this planet, it's a source of oxygen and food and opportunity and trade and economic growth and carbon absorption. And and so one of the problems we face in, in the world in the, this conversation has been the ocean is oftentimes like an afterthought. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to solve these problems that we face in climate change, biodiversity loss, all these things. I mean, let's remember climate change is an ocean problem because yeah. the ocean regulates our climate. Yeah. Because the ocean is warming up from trapping greenhouse gases, the currents are changing. The, 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 the relationship between cold and hot, which is essentially what drives weather, is changing. That's why we're having extreme mm-hmm. weather. That's why we're having extreme storms. That's why the world is changing because the ocean is changing because it's getting hotter. Mm-hmm. So we can't solve these problems unless we elevate the ocean to the center of the conversation about conservation. Yeah. We cannot have a thriving planet without a thriving ocean, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. People, again, think Amazon, they think forests, and those are all very important, and they forget ocean. Ocean should be the first thing that yeah. we talk about, and that's really our mission, is to like help elevate these issues, people to understand that the ocean matters to them every day, mm-hmm. um, and, and that we can't thrive on this planet without an ocean, because the ocean is where life came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And what do you think the best way for people to realize that is? Like, go see it themselves, or I think you know, as you know, we 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 were talking about earlier. You know, when my grandfather had a uh, series, so he not only did he co-invent scuba diving, yeah, he uh, yeah. created underwater cameras and submersibles. My grandfather and, literally co-invented scuba diving, yeah, and he showed you know, and he 
show the world for the first time what is under the ocean. Exactly. exactly. So the ocean surface. All these documentaries he did for decades, etc. Um, you had, you know, at, back in the day, if you had like a, a show, a prime time on ABC, a Sunday night, like yeah. you had tens of millions of people to watch. Yeah, right? Adele, like our, was, our assistant's grandmother, she she was so hyped that you were coming on yeah. today. And she said <laughs> that she go. used to sit and wait when it was like doing the countdown for your, your exactly. grandfather's show to premiere. Because yeah. there were only a few channels. Yeah. So your audience came to you. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, which is why we're so grateful to be able to be here, mm-hmm. you have to go in lots of different places. So we mm-hmm. do children's books and serious documentaries and fun documentaries and social media. And we're really investing more in our social media coming up here and thinking about like, we have to be in all these different places, in classrooms, after school, you know, all these different places to reach people and to build enough of a critical mass in society mm-hmm. to recognize that, oh my goodness, like I've never been to the beach, never been to the ocean, but I like breathing. Thank you, ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I like stable climate and rainfall that feeds the crops, that feeds the food that I eat, even if I don't eat seafood. Thank you, ocean, right? And so mm-hmm. helping people recognize that through all the different things that we do, from musicals and books and all this stuff, is our mission in life and, um, and trying to spread the word. And then I'm so grateful because Ashlyn to be able to come in and really teach me about how to be less earnest and more fun and more willing to take risks. I mean, yeah. she's transformed my work in my life and my career um, because of her perspective and her experience in journalism and in, and in um, pop culture. That, uh, that I and my mandals slogging through the, the oil in the Gulf of Mexico uh, was not as informed about. So. Okay, so full disclosure, <laughs> I learned that those yes. mandals are technically called water shoes, <laughs> and, and I now have a pair at, myself. At least one pair. Uh, <laughs> they're still not cute, but it does save your toes from rocks in the water. So they're practical. There we go. Yeah. Practical. Anyway. Um, if we could just leave our, our viewers with, I guess, one, one piece of advice about how they can help the ocean and this planet and this environment like you said it's um, something that we can do every day yeah. our, our viewers are very open to helping and we have a great community here so um if we could just be pointed in a direction myself as well mm-hmm. i would love to know like what i could be doing actively every single day even if it's just you know as simple as from from the money i spend on the products i buy mm-hmm. what i eat uh how i take drink my water um I'd, I'd really like to know so i might give you one and then you'll probably give one yes so i I want to always stress that no one's perfect Mm -hmm. because it's so hard, especially if you're kind of new to this, like to come away from watching this podcast and then go out and like not want to flush the toilet or, you know, look at your cabinet and realize how much plastic you actually have in your house. Like nobody's perfect. And so what I like to say is, you know, next time you need to buy something, next time you need a cleaning product or you need band-aids or you need sheets or towels or you need a new car, you know, really think, okay, what's the better choice that I can make? Mm -hmm. So I feel like that kind of takes the pressure off Mm -hmm. to just go in and like try to throw everything in your house because that's that's obviously not good. And that's not even sustainable. Exactly, exactly. You already have it. So it's it's like, yeah, when you need something Mm -hmm. else, just ask, is there a better choice I can make? Um, And and that can come in a couple different ways. Is there a better choice that you can make that maybe has less toxic chemicals? Is there a better choice that you can make that has less plastic? Is there a better choice that you can make for a company that is doing good things for the planet? Um, and, and Simple online searches have so many resources yeah, out there. And, right, and you know. now what's really exciting is that some of these choices, because you guys brought up a good point, sometimes, you know, like we drive an electric car. It was expensive, but we only have one car between the two of us. So, you know, there are some choices that are cost prohibitive, yes. but then there's some choices now with like... Um, 
uh, cleaning products now where you can just, they'll send you the tablets. So you don't actually, so they're so cheap. They're like a uh-huh. dollar for a cleaning tablet and it makes a whole container of cleaning solution. So there's actually some, some things now that, that are cheaper mm-hmm. than the regular way. Yeah. So I always, you know, or next time you need a sweater or next time you need a pair of shoes, just do a little bit of digging and you can find a yeah. better choice. It there's might not be perfect choice. because really, if it was perfect, we would all be naked and probably drink some, you know, water and some vegetables. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. But like, if you're going to go buy, buy sunscreen, take mm-hmm. a little bit of uh, time to figure out which sunscreen is reef safe mm-hmm. and try to find one that's not in a plastic container. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of makes that huge uphill battle a little simpler. Yeah. Yeah. Just Baby steps. every time you need something new, make a better choice. And, yeah, and the more if you we, can. Yeah, the more we purchase it, the more accessible it becomes for everyone. Exactly. Shopping is politics, right? Like yes. it has a huge power. I would say that, that, that one thing, really easy thing for anyone under about 25, like young people specifically interested in these types of issues, Earth Echo is a great resource. Like we're mm-hmm. building, where young people can participate in the work that we do. Yeah. Our next big event is, is coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, where we bring youth from around the world and sharing ideas and doing all sorts of stuff. So Earth Echo is like a really easy resource for people. But I would just say doing what y'all have done, storytelling. Yeah. We are all storytellers. Yeah. We can all be storytellers to our family, to our friends, and be advocates for this world, not in a doom and gloom in a negative way, but in a hopeful way. Because again, this idea that all of our choices have power and every day we can make a better choice to make the world a better place, that's an amazing thing. It like each amazing. and every single one of us, yeah. every day through all of our choices can change the world. That's fabulous. And then we can share that with other people around us. Yeah. And I think that's for me is like all of us be storytellers for a better world. That's great. That's great. And that's then beautiful. On that note, I have, I have one story, and this is just for fun, but it's going to take a very short time. Um, so I have one. I love fun stories. I, I, uh, I have one um, one scuba diving experience only. And I know we started the episode by speaking about that we are fascinated by it and would love to, to get underwater. But uh, the only scuba diving experience that I have so far is when we were young, my friend had this pool, and he, he, come, he came from a family of scuba divers. They went to Bonaire, did trips like that, and they nice. would always tell me fun stories. So they had a lot of equipment in their house, like these like next-level goggles that I'd never seen, you know, like not the Speedo ones, but like the good ones, and then these, these cool... Uh, um, that were the products of your grandfather's invention. Yes. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, yeah. But their pool was a, a little on the murky side. It was actually very... The visibility was not great. <laughs> Maybe three inches. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe and, you shouldn't have been swimming in that pool, no, but definitely not. It was a folliculitis <laughs> waiting to happen. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I don't think that I should have been, but we did, and it was fun. We would take his underwater flashlight and we'd wait for it to get dark out. And he had these giant bullfrogs that would like kind of jump in his pool. So we would try to find the bullfrogs in the pool. And so that's my only experience scuba diving. So you're already an explorer. Yeah. You need to make it happen in the ocean. It is, listen, it's 70% of the planet. Like people are always saying, I wish I could fly. That's one of the most common superhero like abilities people talk about. And I'm like, if you want to fly, don't go up into space, you're floating around and it's kind of, everything's really hard to do. Go into the ocean. Because yeah. like you can fly in the ocean. I mean, yeah. it's it's this liberating, people are like, it's claustrophobic. I think it's freeing. Mm-hmm. You see this whole space, you want to go up there? Okay, I'm just going to float up there. Wow. Go down there? I'm just going to go down there. Like it's, and it you're, you're interacting with things and animals you've never seen before. And like it's, it's a magical experience, um, so we'll 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 make it happen if you guys want to do it. That's Thanks definitely something we can help with. Maybe Thank we'll do a so. podcast underwater one day. 
There you Honestly, go. That's doable. We could, we could, do, that. <laughs> we could do that. We could do that. Wi-Fi will penetrate like 20 feet underwater at 30 feet. So. Oh, yeah. awesome. We'll have to get a little clip or something one day underwater. Exactly. Amazing. Well, thank you guys so much. You guys are doing amazing things. And we really, really appreciate it. want to give another shout out to Earth Echo so our, our listeners can go and check that out. Thanks thank very much. You. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. You guys are awesome. Thank you. You guys are too. Thank really you. Appreciate it.